everybody. Welcome back to a special edition of the Teardown. My name is Jeff Gluck, and instead of being along with Joel Bianchi, I am at Indianapolis Motor Speedway with my dear friend Nate Ryan of NBC Sports, who of course has his own great podcast, uh, the NASCAR on NBC podcast. But we're doing a special episode drop today because we just found out that the Coke 600 was rained out. So Nate, instead of doing a uh, joint double mega podcast as we did last year where we we stitched these together uh there's no second race to go with it so we're just going to have uh indy 500 episode and just talk all about that and then we'll do a a coke 600 episode when that race actually takes place so here we are nate how you doing i'm doing great uh it's my pleasure to be here always an honor and a privilege to join one of my favorite podcasts the teardown so i have a question though so now do you and jordan do it tomorrow now that you're free I think I will try to insert myself into that because I'll be home and I will have watched the whole race because, you know, athletic better be paying you double here. (laughs) Double. Yeah. yeah, This is like two podcasts. Podcast money is really, really rolling in thick. (laughs) Let me tell you. (laughs) (laughs) That's where the money all is in the media world. (laughs) Those podcasts. Yeah. No, I mean, I honestly, uh, you know, in some ways it look, it's, it's not good for anybody. Um, I wish that race would have gotten in, but had they tried to get that race started at like eight o'clock tonight or whatever, and gone into the wee hours with the, that race was five hours last year. Yeah. And who knows that there would have been more rain delays. I mean, that's just not, not good for the fans. So that, that's I mean, the unfortunate part of the 600 is there's always like no margin. Like once you get past the, the what should be, what is it supposed to be starting at six fifteen was yeah. the scheduled. Yeah, yeah. Once you get too far past that, then you're, you're guaranteed after midnight and right. that doesn't really work for anybody. Yeah. But, uh, lucky for us, great weather here in Indy all week. Nope. Sorry to our Charlotte friends there, but, uh, picture perfect day. <laughs> and, uh, just, I mean, once again, you know, you, you come here, you get here on race day morning and you're like, man, greatest, greatest race in the world. And you kind of hope that it's going to live up to the billing and the hype and all the buildup. I mean, you've been here for, all of it I've, I've just swooped in the last few days here but um i mean it's just the the lead up to this it just feels so important and when you see a thrilling race like today or just it just hits home how important this thing is you know it does uh and especially when it comes not only with this wild chaotic finish i mean the last 50 miles of this race i'm probably gonna need 50 years to process everything that happened with three red flags in the last 16 laps. Uh, just the craziness of, uh, you know, IndyCar making calls that I think caught some people off guard, certainly caught the, the runner-up off guard. Uh, and then to have the winner be Joseph Newgarden, who is very much, uh, you know, the same vein of like a Dale Earnhardt taking 20 years to win the Daytona 500. Uh, Joseph Newgarden definitely falls in that category. This was his 12th attempt. Uh, just like when Tony Conan won this race, won the Indy 500 in 2013, you were here. I believe that was his 13th attempt. There's a long history in of the Indy 500 with uh, greats who either had to wait a long time to win this race or never did. And so that part was cool. But then, of course, the other cool part of that is the guy who owns this racetrack, Roger Penske, also owns Joseph Newgarden's car. Not only his 19th, his record 19th Indy 500 victory as a car owner, but also the first time he gets to celebrate in Victory Lane at Indianapolis Motor Speedway as the owner of Indianapolis Motor Speedway and IndyCar. He gave the command to start engines, so he essentially started the day 
and then he got to finish the day by celebrating it. So there was there were a lot of layers, as usual, like you said, to the Indy 500 today. There really were, and and what's crazy is, um, you know, I guess we'll I'll, I'll cell phone here. You know, I did like a seven drivers to watch piece, <laughs> and. There was no consideration for me putting Joseph Newgarden to the seven drivers to watch. I mean, I just thought, oh, yeah, the Penske cars, I'm sorry, they're just the last few years have not really been good here. Like, they're just not, they don't qualify well, and they're not the contenders, like, that we're talking about. Like, it's, you know, there was a lot of, like, Ganassi or McLaren mm-hmm. talk this year, and, and, you know, maybe Santino could get up there, which he did for a while. And, um, you know, you never know, Ed Carpenter Racing, are they going to come through? But... Penske cars for for all the glory that Rogers had here. It, this this has not been amazing for them recently. No, no, they've been completely off their game the last three years. I actually did a story on NBCSports.com/motors um, that I got around to posting finally a few hours before the race. I intended to do it earlier, but I went up to Mooresville and spent uh, a half day at Team Penske headquarters, where they have NASCAR, IndyCar, and IMSA. All of those teams under the same roof in this mammoth 250,000 square foot shop. And I talked to Ryan Blaney. I talked to Will Power. I talked to Tim Sindrick, who's the president of the team. I talked to some IndyCar uh, executives that they have. And the takeaway was, you know, Team Penske tends to keep its cards close to the vest. And and it's one of the reasons they're so good. Newgarden is like the prototypical Penske driver in that he never betrays any sort of doubt about his ability or, or his confidence that his team is going to be always going to be able to pull it out. But spending that day at Team Penske, like you, you could feel the tension. And I actually quote Ryan Blaney in this story and is, is saying they haven't been good the last few years, you know, and Power said it too. I mean, they they won this race in 2019 with Pagano. They came back in 2020 and were nowhere. They worked their guts out in the offseason, came back in 21, weren't much better. Same story last year. They they came into 2022 saying, all right, we, 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 we've got to win this race. And they were just sort of off their game. So I agree with you. Like coming into this race today, when you look at their performance and qualifying, only Will Power made the fast 12. Joseph Newgrant actually qualified 17th. Now, qualifying is a completely different animal here at the Brickyard for the Indy 500 because they add turbo boost, and it's hard to get a real gauge on uh, when the engines are detuned for the race. They, they run with 100 extra horsepower, so they can get up to 234 miles an hour for the pull speed here. And when they come back down for race setup, it's it's a little bit different. But to me, to your point, it certainly felt like it was going to be Chip Ganassi Racing, who dominated, that, that team dominated this race a year ago. It felt like it was Chip Ganassi Racing versus Air McLaren. Both of those teams had all four of their cars in the top 12 uh, in qualifying. And then, you know, I don't want to say Team Penske came out of nowhere because, again, Newgarden was projecting confidence. Carb day final practice, he came in, and you, you can he's usually fairly easy to read um, in terms of you can sort of tell when he doesn't feel as if he's going to have the best car. Again, he always puts out this positive public persona that, you know, I can win any race. This team is championship caliber all the time. Um, and I, I did sense Friday after practice and the way he was talking and the way we heard some other competitors talk as well. Pato Awards said it. Um, I believe Alex Pelo said it as well. They said, watch for the Penske's. This is not just going to be Ganassi versus McLaren. Hmm. Well, and, and, and to that point, I mean, going back to media day, you know, I, I was asking Newgarden, like, you know, are you guys going to need to play some sort of strategy mm-hmm. or hope for caution to sort of flip the field? Because you know, you guys are starting so far back. He's like, oh, no, no, you know, we have a good enough car to drive up 
through there, and I'm just thinking, yeah, right. But I mean, he really did. I mean, he was yeah. really making moves. Uh, you know, it was like, wow, where is he? He was sort of the surprise of the race, he, just to get up to the top five for me. He was passing so many cars. There was one point where you know we have the scoring monitor here that shows like total on track passes, not just positions gained. And at one point, like halfway through the race, I looked up and he was like by far and away had the most of anybody. Um, I think that was even after like a couple pit cycles. So maybe he had fallen back and then repassed people or something. But um, so he clearly had a fast car. Uh, I just don't know. I, I just didn't see it coming. But um, and then, you know, he wasn't going to win because um, Marcus Erickson was going to go back to back. Maybe Pato Award would have had a chance if he had been had more patient before he makes that move but he he you know Pato last year got burned by not yeah. making the move this year he said i'm gonna make the move and it didn't work out for him and he crashed so i think that was definitely in Pato's head that he faced a lot of questions last year about why didn't you send it on the outside of turn one around marcus erickson on that last lap and he was like well i didn't because i knew it had no no chance of working out and so this year he made what I would consider to be an overly optimistic attempt at trying to get to the front. And unfortunately he got caught this time. Yeah. And I mean, it's true. Like you look at that replay and, and Erickson didn't give him room. And so Pato was trying to go down to the apron and then he ends up clipping the grass to spin himself out. And so, you know, in his interview afterwards, you know, Pato's like, well, I'm going to remember that. And I, I was being too nice, but if he's not nice, I mean, clearly he's sending both of them into the wall. So yeah. that's a pretty vicious wreck. Uh, but, you know, these guys know what they're doing. I mean, Erickson knew what he was doing, and he was like, here, you want it? You, you want it? Wreck me. Yeah. Or make contact, you know? Yeah. And he didn't. So he sort of blinked in that nature. And then and then it almost results in Erickson winning the 500 again for a second straight year. So um, I feel like we've seen a mentality change with the drivers here in recent years where – I don't want to like shade this through a NASCAR lens, but obviously the playoff era of NASCAR, you've seen it. You can speak to it. Since 2014, the I'll do whatever it takes to win races, to advance through the playoffs, and to go for the championship, first in Homestead, now in Phoenix. I feel like that mentality has started to bleed into the Indy 500 and what IndyCar drivers are willing to do. And uh, we definitely saw that today not just with Pato award but i think with some other drivers too i thought you were going to say that it was due to the cars being safer knock on wood um because could be a factor the drivers i think with the aero screen era feel safer i'm not saying they feel indestructible because we saw some vicious crashes but we also saw like kyle kirkwood flipped upside down today rode all the way down and moments later he's so doing so well that we're able to see an in-car yeah. camera on, on NBC, on your guys' broadcast. It was unbelievable. Great, great job by Sean Owens and Renee with the uh, broadcast as well. Give them a little plug. That was yeah. like, I mean, that, that in-car of the sparks and him you, with his visor open and you see right. his eyes. and uh, That was unbelievable. Um, but ultimately, you know, there's a, there's a couple late crashes, right? Erickson is going to restart. Um, you know, he, he's, he's the leader. Um, and New Garden is second, and it looks like as there's that late caution um, on a restart, it it looks like they're going to run out the laps. That was my thought. Hey, this is Indy. Um, obviously, there's no overtime. There's no green-white checkered. And not only that, but I've learned since 
uh, this is we I wrote this in 2013 for USA Today. Hey, uh, maybe IndyCar should not uh, finish under caution for the Tony Kanaan <laughs> win uh, because in that race, uh, Dario Franchitti crashed with four laps to go, and they did not red flag it and they let it run out. Um, I learned that that was not the right thing to say uh, around IndyCar land. So fast forward to 2020, Spencer Piggott um, goes into the pit road attenuator, uh, which was a pretty big, significant hit. But that happens with um, five laps to go. And IndyCar elected also then to not red flag the end of that race. Um, They let it run out under caution and they issued even a statement afterwards because people were asking, well, you know, um, and they said, well, there wasn't enough laps remaining. We didn't feel like because if you do the calculation, I was going back and looking at my story today, that would have set up a one lap shootout, which they did not want to do. Um, now you get to 2022, the last last year's race. Erickson was leading. Jimmy Johnson crashes, um, sets up. Uh, I think that was with six to go. They decide to red flag it. Erickson ends up winning anyway, but they clearly said we're going to preserve the laps. We are going to try to give a green flag finish. Now they did that not just once today, not just twice, but three times. Uh, first Indy 500 ever with multiple crash related red flags. Um, and the last one is the one we need to talk about because that's the controversial one, because to set up a one lap shootout intentionally at the Indy 500, I, even I, the, the person that was in 2013 saying, Hey, you guys need overtimes like NASCAR. I was like, Ooh, I'm not really comfortable (laughs) with this one. This is, uh, I get wanting to finish it under green. Totally get that. But this seemed, um, this was interesting, Nate. It was. It was. Well, let's first agree that this is the Indianapolis 500. And when you wrote that in 2013, the column for USA Today, that was kind of what I took issue with then. And I think playfully jabbed at you as, as your peer in that you have to maintain the sanctity and the integrity of a race that has been around and run 107 times since 1911. Like this race can never be extended past the 500 mile distance. I'm sorry. That's what works in NASCAR definitely would not work with this race. But I will say that this felt like a very, like a very NASCAR type finish. hundred percent. I mean, it was, it was very much like IndyCar race control doing something that they had not really done before. And, and that I don't think a lot of sanctioning bodies and racing series in the world would do. And I think that's why looking back at this quote that Marcus Erickson gave Kevin Lee in our post-race interview, he said, I felt like it was unfair and a dangerous end to the race. I don't think there were enough laps to do what we did. We've never done a restart out of the pits and we didn't get the tires up to temperature. And I think that's what made this finish so bizarre, Jeff, that you, it wasn't even like a one lap shootout. It was like a three quarter lap (laughs) shootout because they're getting the green as the field is exiting the pits. And that it's, it just seems to me that, I don't know where IndyCar's rule book is on this. I haven't, I don't know what their race procedures are, you know, full candor and disclosure about that. I know that they tell drivers in the driver's meeting, we're going to make every effort possible to give the fans a finish under green. And this is not the first time the Indy 500 has been red flagged to ensure a, a green flag finish. Like you said, I think the first time they did this was like 2014, um, the year uh, Ryan Hunter Ray won, I think, but they've done it a few times since then. Um, and it seems like it's becoming more prevalent in recent years. And 
I don't know. Like, I just, I have issues if they don't spell out how they're going to end a race in these types of conditions, especially like we're generally like when you have a one lap shootout or, or whatever, when you have like a, a green flag finish in overtime in NASCAR, like they at least give them a lap around the track under yellow. And that wasn't really what happened here. And I think Marcus Erickson's point was, you know, that if they knew this is what they wanted to do, why didn't they red flag the race earlier to try to give themselves an opportunity to restart it as the field comes to green? Um, and I, I hate to bring up again other racing series, but like I wrote this in our NBCSports.com story. I mean, th- th- this felt like an unusual call that kind of had echoes of F1's controversial 2021 finale in Abu Dhabi, where they essentially like they made up the rules kind of on the fly and and they went against what the rule book said about like cars between the leader and lead lap cars and in all those things. Like I, I just, I had echoes of that in my head and I'm not saying that Joseph Newgarden is not a deserving winner. Um, what he did on that final lap to beat Marcus Erickson deserves to be commended. It was an impressive drive. Um, Marcus Erickson said he, you know, Joseph deserves this win. He's a, he's a gracious two time champion, but I mean, the danger was real. Like those guys were below the white line coming off turn four. And if one of them were to lose it, they were going straight into that attenuator. And we saw what happened. Spencer Piggott got a concussion and spent overnight in the hospital here after hitting it in 2020. So I I think this just, it raises a lot of questions. And not only was Erickson, I mean, obviously he took the position that was unfair, but Joseph Newgarden actually, after I asked him about it in the post-race, news conference here um in the media center and he was saying the same thing that this is something that they need to address he doesn't think they need to address race procedures he thinks they need to address like uh the way the cars race around each other the downforce levels are too much that indycar needs to look at fixing or tweaking the cars here so that you can't have that type of finish with all the weaving and everything going on but i think there's also gonna be questions about like how indycar ends races in the future coming out of this well, look, it, it gave the fans a thrilling finish under green, no doubt. Um, it, it was very memorable. Um, and so, and that's what people want to see. However, it, it, not to be, you know, pearl clutching as I do on here sometimes, <laughs> but it could have gone the other way. We just yes. saw a crash earlier this race, a couple hours ago, where a tire flew out of the track. And we are so lucky that we're just sitting here like, oh, that was a cool race and not talking about oh, this tire killed a certain number of fans or whatever. Like, it, had that gone in the stands or even the pit suites at a different angle? Yes. That, like, this place with over 300,000 people, it's almost like um, the odds of, you know, uh, uh, let's say a satellite falling out of the sky um, into the ocean and landing on an island or something. Uh, it's almost about the same odds as, as that tire missing the people i mean the, it went through that gap that was very very fortunate because yeah, there's, a, there's a gap there in turn two between the suites and the grandstands and you could see it sailing over the grandstands um on our replay and when i saw that i immediately flashed back to michigan 1998 when a tire went over the fence during a cart race during a crash and three fans were killed and it happened again at charlotte motor speedway in may of i believe may of 99 uh, IndyCar race there, IRL race, they stopped the race. Uh, same thing. Tire went over the, the, the catch fence and, and three fans died. And if that tire goes in the crowd, we're having an entirely different discussion right now. Right. And so it's not just 
it's not even just the Ericsson um, New Garden thing on the last lap. Any anybody in any part of the field going for those positions at the end. I mean, Kanam was talking about how he was racing Elio for 15th, like it was the for the win, basically, right? Like they're all going. I mean, one lap shootout with as much as these positions pay and as much as it means, everybody's going for it, right? So it could have turned out differently, and that would have been a really bad story. I just think now they've made this decision and they've gone so far down this road of being so intent on giving people finishes as Michael Massey did for F1 to try to decide that, Oh, we can't decide the championship this way. No, Mikey. No, no, that is not right. <laughs> Good um, <toe> to him. <laughs> like, I'm not saying this was to that degree at all. Like, yeah. you know, but, it had echoes of it. It def- right, definitely, because echoes it, of it, it was not the normal procedure. Right. However, now that you've done this, okay. Every Indy 500 that we come to with, if there's a caution with like five, six laps to go, well, now you have to red flag it yes. to give him a finish. Because if you don't just let, ah, oh, you know what, we're just going to let it run out. Everybody's going to go, well, wait a minute. Like we're doing, like we're citing all the precedents here. Yeah. They're going to go, well, what about in 2023? Yeah. You guys red flagged it. How come not this time? So now they've really put themselves in a position where they don't have a lot of wiggle room. No, we are through the looking glass and down the rabbit hole here at the Brickyard with this race in a way that we haven't been in a long time. And I'll turn it back on you. I mean, 2004 was when NASCAR went to the chase, now known as the playoffs, and they instituted green, white, checkered finishes, um, which have varied over time. But now we, of course, have landed in this era where unlimited attempts at overtime finishes the, the races essentially have to end under green unless of course there's a yellow on the white flag lap in nascar so it feels like indycar is is maybe poised teetering on that edge of of that nascar has found itself in so much over the last 20 years of how do you balance entertainment versus the pure integrity of competition i think traditionally indycar and certainly it's it's fan base it's old guard fan base have prided themselves on putting the integrity of competition of purity above entertainment value. But there's been a switch here. And where, where do you think they go? I mean, cause I think you're right. I think it, it's almost, it's almost like you can't go halfway, especially when you're doing it in not only the biggest race of their series, the biggest race in the world, this is the most people they're going to view any of their races this year. And they want those fans, those viewers to tune in. They want them to become fans. So it's kind of the same I don't know if it's a dilemma, but it's certainly the same situation that NASCAR has found itself in the past two decades. And we've seen where they've gone. Has it worked for them? And does it work for IndyCar? I guess those are the questions. Well, it's tough because I feel like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth because had they, that wreck comes out on that restart, whatever, there's going to be like four laps left. They're going to run four laps of caution. Erickson's going to win a second Indy 500. And that's just going to be it. Right. And, and I get where that's going to be deflating and everybody's going to go, man, that was a good race. That was really building to something cool. Um, too bad. We're not going to get a finish. However, that's what this race is. That's what I've come to learn. I've been <laughs> like, again, I got pretty burned. I'm not, you know, it's fine. But 2013, I got pretty blasted. Right. For saying who blasted you? Uh, IndyCar fans. The okay. IndyCar just fans the old were guard like, fan base? like nobody in particular. Did anybody from IndyCar come to you and say, "Hey"? No, no, no. no just the fans. Just okay. like the readers. Like, you're a NASCAR guy. Yeah. You came over to IndyCar to check out the Indy 500, and you're you think that this should end? You know, you they, they need to end under green. You weren't satisfied with this? No. 
that's not what we do here. We are 500 mile race. We don't have any gimmicks. We don't have any. So I'm like, okay, okay, let me try to learn and appreciate and respect that over time. So over the years, I've been like, okay, that's, that's how they do it. And then just again, like three out of the last four years now, there's been sort of like debates and questions and, well, wait, could they? Oh, I don't know. And then it just feels like they're going in a a different direction, as you say. So, uh, I do think they really need to be careful here because definitely don't want overtime. No, I agree with you. No <laughs> overtime here. No, we don't want that. This is the Indy 500. They don't have overtime. They I, can't. They can't run past 500 miles. No, here. no, I agree. And that that was my big issue when you wrote that in 2013. Like, yeah, I I, I have no problem with you wanting a green flag finish. I disagree with IndyCar fans who would take that stance and just say, oh no, it's it's always gonna like I'm okay with them red flagging it, but. When you wiggle yourself into these, you know this this pretzel type situation where suddenly, like, it just becomes suddenly the cars are sitting on pit road with two laps to yes. go. They go green to pull off uh, on the two <laughs> laps to go to say take the white and the green at the same yeah. time. I've never seen uh, the you know the star <laughs> the guy waving the white and green. That was yes. just a very I don't know. Um, yeah. So, but look, I mean, again. I, I text my mother-in-law, who my, my in-laws are Hoosiers, and they mm-hmm. come to this race every year for their entire lives. And I text her what what she thought of it, and she said the fan reaction, they, everybody in the grandstand cheered, and they all loved it because they all wanted a green fat flag finish. I get it. I get it. But yeah. it's just yeah. not what they've done. So that's that's what the debate will have to be, I guess. Cause, but anyway, New Garden, I mean, Marcus Erickson on, that, on the one lap, shootout was a sitting duck but he, he got a pretty good plan uh to stick with new garden and i mean i i thought he was gonna get him back honestly after I, new garden I, made the pass i thought he was because he was doing what worked for him last year when he held off Pato in that finish last year he did this thing that became known as the dragon the dragon and you know he's got this documentary out now which is terrific people should watch it it's on motorsports on nbc youtube page called unleashing the dragon that goes into like how Marcus Erickson came up with this strategy of like, hey, if I weave back and forth, I can break the toad, the draft, to the guy behind me, he won't be able to pass me. So I thought when Erickson got a really good restart and <laughs> in, a, in a really weird situation, obviously, um, but it's, he seemed to catch Newgarden a little bit off guard. So I thought he was going to be okay. And uh, But again, Newgarden deserves all the credit. He caught him on the backstretch and then he gave Marcus a taste of his own medicine by essentially doing the weaving and he played it perfectly. Um, and I mean, it legit looked like he was going to weave all the way down to pit road. I was like, whoa, where's he going? I'm telling you, man. And when I just asked him about it, he was like, yeah, I was just going to drive through pit lane. <laughs> and he was joking about it. But I, this is this was a, a topic of discussion coming in this race where myself and Ethan Brown and some others were asking drivers about this. Like, should IndyCar put in a rule? Like, should they legislate this? So, you know, how do you guys feel about this? Alexander Rossi told us last week that he thinks it looks dumb. Um, because this is the biggest race in the world. And, you know, it's kind of like, to put it in NASCAR terms for some of your listeners, like, you remember the stuff after the races a few years ago when they would, like, do the swerve to, like, get their cars in compliance with the the post-race laser inspection? Oh, yeah. That's sort of what this looks like, except it's during the race for the win. I thought you were going to say the world. Larson saying last year that Ross's thing, uh, the, the Hail Melon was dumb because that didn't wasn't bef- wasn't befitting of yeah. how to decide a, a a big motor race 
Um, you could argue that sort of falls in the same you know, category, although yeah. people love video games, so that just that looks cool. This just looks kind of goofy. Like, you know, why is that guy swerving back and forth? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, that's the that's the arrow effect they've had. They yeah. These they've changed the cars, and and now you could pass the leader even easier. I mean, all all on media day, they're like, oh, you don't want to be leading at the white flag. Yeah. Um, which proved. Turned out to be true, which I think is why it didn't work as well for Ericsson this year as last year. And Ericsson said that afterward that it, it, IndyCar had instituted these new like barge boards and put these little arrow bits and pieces because they were trying to enhance passing. And Pelo said it after practice on Friday. Um, Alex Pelo said, "Yeah, I, I think it's too easy now for a second to pass first. And I think we saw in the ending why why he said that. Yeah, no, no doubt. Um, any other thoughts? I guess from. From in from this race, uh, for anything we saw today, I mean, Santino Ferrucci um, <laughs> feels like the entire paddock, all the drivers like don't like the guy, <laughs> um, and it really looked for a little bit there that he was gonna maybe have a chance at this. I mean, you'd be hard pressed right now to find somebody whose driving skill set is better suited to Indianapolis Motor Speedway. He's made five starts here and he's finished in the top ten every time, and he's not driven for a powerhouse team yet. I mean, AJ Foyt Racing had a terrific month, and I think a lot of that can be attributed to the fact that Michael Cannon is Ferrucci's engineer. Last year, he engineered um, Dixon's cars and, and worked with Ganassi, and I think he brought a lot of that Ganassi knowledge where they were, again, so dominant. Dixon was on the pole last year. He led the most laps. They were so dominant that race. I think he brought some of that here. But you got to give Ferrucci a ton of credit for the way he drives this place um he just just seems to suit him really well and and to have all of that come on the heels of aj Foyt's wife um dying uh, several weeks ago and the longtime team publicist and she lost her husband like it's been a really tumultuous emotionally wrenching month for aj Foyt racing which of course is the namesake of maybe the most legendary racing driver in u.s history i mean next to mario andretti it's it's aj foyd four-time indy 500 winner so yeah it was a really compelling storyline yeah i mean santino i mean he had so much confidence too going into it and you're like i don't know is he really gonna are they gonna have good enough pit stops are they gonna be able to i mean but he really did he did exactly what he said he said he was gonna be there at the finish and go for it at the end and i mean he had he was he had like legit tears in his eyes and was super choked up afterward um trying to explain i mean his hands were shaking and everything he was really um he just felt like it was there for the taking and, and yeah. he didn't get it i think but. like the emotions of the month kind of caught up with him that everything that team has been going through was really overwhelming and he just sort of had to comp compartmentalize it and then when he got out of the car afterward and realized how close he was to winning and having this storybook ending it it really hit him but I and mean, you brought it up like I think IndyCar wants Santino Ferrucci to do well because he is the quote-unquote villain they kind of lack. He's not afraid to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with these guys on the track and off the track. He calls them out. He's a little bit brash. Mm -hmm. um, and IndyCar needs rivalries. Um, I know that they pride themselves on their drivers being really sporting and the camaraderie that you find out there in the bus lot, and they all really do seem to like each other, and they still race really really fiercely for wins like they don't give each other quarter on the track because they like each other but i mean this is a, a series that's trying to enhance its marketability by having a a docuseries follow them around right now and having them lead in this race and i think that the more rivalries they have the more hate sells uh type situations they have the better for indycar well i'll tell you what joseph newgarden is going to be a great champion of this race 
He's going to get to do a ton of media. And that's really good because he is one of the most personable, uh, just, I mean, great all-around dudes that in, in all of American motorsports. I mean, talk about a, a great interview and, and good with fans and just sort of gets it, right? Yeah. Um, so uh, th- that's going to be really great for IndyCar to have him out front. Now, I, you know, I'm not. is it going to change the direction of IndyCar? No. we. For years, it was always like, oh, as soon as they get an American winner, that's going to change everything. Ryan Hunter Ray yeah, ask, or something. Ask Ryan Hunter Ray yeah. how that worked out. <laughs> yeah. And it, look, it, it doesn't, I'm not saying it's going to be like, this yeah. is going to change everything, but it's just going to be great for people that might not be familiar with Joseph Newgarden. They're going to learn more about him. Uh, people that might not be familiar with IndyCar are going to learn, you know, oh, this is a cool guy to root for. Wow, yeah. what a great personality. You know, when he goes to New York and does his media tour and stuff. So. Um, that's a real positive, I think. And people are going to see Joseph Newgarden's abs, which you've already <laughs> been able to see in 100 Days to Indy. That's been one of the, the big storylines. I'm, I'm joking somewhat. But I think that docuseries probably did one of the best jobs with going into Joseph Newgarden's home in Nashville and talking to him about, about wanting to win this race, about like his kind of his insecurities, even though, like you said, he comes off as this extremely polished, well-coiffed, articulate spokesman. He's a marketer's dream. can tell why sponsors love him. But there is another side to him. He's a bit introverted. And it's been great that he kind of opened up his life a little bit to let people see it. And the timing it now is sublime that he wins the biggest race in the world. And like you said, people are going to be talking about him. And goes into the stands. Said it was premeditated. He knew where the uh, the photo hole was. It was. It's not even like a a gate. He dove. I didn't even the know that was there. He just squeezed through. Hole. Yeah, yeah. And he had that. He he thought about it for years. If he ever won, he was going to do that. He th- said he was thought he was going to get higher up in the stands, but of course he got mobbed. Um, like Carl did. That There's one a Carl time. move. Yeah, yeah, I was just yeah. thinking. Like, didn't did that start at the Coke 600, or did he do it at the Coke 600? I can't remember I where he did that. I know he did it at Charlotte. I don't know if it was yeah, the 600. But he got so mobbed, it was like, okay, now they got to yeah. get him out of here. But um, Carl had so many moves, like the backflip, the run yeah. up in the stands. Take the sunglasses off. <laughs> we miss him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, any any other final thoughts, I guess, about this race or anything that we didn't touch on that you want to mention? I, I think you covered it. Uh, and there's just not much more to say i mean you said it like i i woke up at 3 30 this morning and i really had a smile on my face about knowing that i was going to go park my car an hour later and and walk in and i i would not have done that for probably any other race maybe with the exception of the, the daytona 500 um i'd like to do Le Mans someday too i don't know how early you have to get up for that since it starts midday but um or at least you know a little bit different starting time um but i just I mean, th- this race, to me, I'm probably speaking as a biased NBC Sports employee, but it's really lived up to its billing like uh, the last few years, with the exception possibly of the 2020 pandemic race, when, of course, it, it, it couldn't live up to its billing because there was nobody nobody here. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't even know if, what, if it would have mattered what kind of race they had that year. But when you think about, like, I mean, last year was a certainly memorable finish, 2021, I think oh, yeah. for both of us, watching Elio celebrate, that's going to be probably one of the top five sporting events I cover maybe in my lifetime. Right. Um, it just it feels like the Indy 500 is on a really good winning streak where they've had like three or, or four bangers here in the last five years. God, and I mean the crowds, the energy. Um, look, I'm not trying to make a commercial for it, but I'm telling you, if if you haven't been to this race, you got to go at least once. Oh my gosh, yeah. it's just un like the energy 
when when you look around and as far as you can see all the way down those you know, just massive cavernous grandstands. Everyone is just completely packed all off into the distance around the corners. You, you, you know, we're up high on the fourth floor here so we can see out on all the stands. We can see just yeah. absolute sea of people, people every, I mean, just the, the vibe, the energy, the enthusiasm. I mean, Friday carb day, there's 75,000 people here just for that as nice. a practice. Right. And right. a, and a concert, but you know, it's just, um, man, Indy's, Indy's definitely feeling it right now. They are in a, the, the renaissance that was brought on by the 100th has really just continued to to grow and, and be better. And this, I guess, was the biggest crowd since the 100th. And right, right. Uh, just, only uh, like 5,000 short of a sellout. And, yeah, I mean, you and I are lucky enough, we're privileged enough to be able to stand on the grid. But when you can stand on the grid, like, before this race starts and be surrounded by 300,000 people, and I, I may have told this story in the pod last year, so I apologize if I'm repeating myself, but Dale Jarrett had never been to this race until last year. And I remember being so excited that he was going to get a chance to go. And I saw him on the grid here last year, probably, I don't know, maybe 30 minutes before command to start engines. I just looked at his face and I was like, how is it? And it's just like, you know, Dale Jarrett, like one of the most eloquent, articulate spokesmen that NASCAR has ever had, the the quintessential hall of famer. And I could tell he's just at a loss for words. He was like, this is amazing. This is like better than I ever could have expected. So yeah, if you've never been in this race and you're a racing fan, everybody should come at least once. Yeah. And I mean, Larson got to experience that today too. Next so year. Next year he'll be, uh, the story as we're sitting here, I'm sure, um, one way or the other. So anyway, Nate, thank you so much for taking out the time to, to join us here for this little bonus pod. Um, and of course you really need to listen to Nate's NASCAR and NBC podcast as I do every single week. Uh, you often have one of your driver analysts or Steve Letard or somebody like that. And just a really great way to break down the race. So um, always appreciate that. So thank you for coming on. Oh, thanks, man. It's always a pleasure being on here, and I appreciate you having me. Everybody else, so listen, um, we'll do a normal episode of the Teardown uh, whenever the Coke 600 runs, and that will be in your feeds next. So you'll have to be a little bit patient probably be Monday night if they get it in. Hopefully they get on all 900 miles tomorrow of Xfinity and Cup. But uh, until then, everybody, thanks so much for listening. I'll talk to you next time on The Teardown.